Sales Tuners, episode 26, with me, Jim Brown. You never know when that person's going to come back to you at another organization, right? And whether you, the salesperson, are at the same organization or not is irrelevant. You're selling to people, and, and you could be selling to them for life if you treat them the right way. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Eric Hoffer, who said, in times of change, learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. My goodness, episode 26. As I prepared for this recap, I went back and listened to several of my early episodes, and I just have to say thank you, and I'm sorry. Man, I'm glad my guests were able to pick up my slack back then because I sounded pretty terrible. I've learned a lot in the last six months. I've learned the ins and outs of producing a weekly podcast. I've learned from some of the most successful and respected sales leaders in the country. And most importantly, I've learned from you guys, my listeners, aka Sales Sooners Nation, what you really want to hear. So thank you for that and thank you for sticking with me. Before we dive in, I still need to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Okta is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Okta.com. That's O-C-T-I-V dot com. All right. You'll definitely want to check out the show notes this week at salestuners.com slash 26. We pulled out each guest's biggest piece of advice, as well as the links to their individual episodes. Also of note, All the books recommended in the first 25 episodes, three rose to the top as the most recommended. In order, they were The Challenger Sale, obviously fitting, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that one kind of surprised me a bit, but I'm not sure why, and number three was Lean In. I also tallied up the responses to the question, which phrase describes you best, I love to win or I hate to lose? My response to that is, I expect to win and therefore hate to lose. So definitely enjoyed the guest that shared that sentiment. But it was interesting to see how the split broke down amongst the guests. We had 10 love to wins. So you'd expect there'd be 15 I hate to lose, right? Of course not. We had 12 I hate to lose, but we had three rebel answers. Jenny Vance was set on both. Todd Capone said, we should expect to win, expect to lose, and learn, learn, learn. And lastly, Ray Carroll said something interesting that was, he was afraid to lose. I didn't expect that one, especially from him. Okay, let's get to what I learned from my first 25 guests and some of the things I've been able to apply in my own daily sales practice. In episode one, I talked to the social selling evangelist and startup advisor, Jill Rowley. And her feedback was to share. And that's have a genuine desire to help others. Even if what you share is unrelated to what you're trying to sell, Doing so allows you to show you care, which is what can drive future opportunities. Jill also had a pretty pointed take on what it means to have empathy. If we take the attitude, you have to care. You can't be in sales if you're just trying to crush your number and be number one in your organization. 
if that's your end game is to crush crush your number be number one and you know and and you're focused on the commission check then you're you're going to be a bad sales professional in particular in today's world you have to genuinely care about helping your buyer do whatever it is they need to do. In episode two, I talked to what became one of my absolute favorite guests to date, and that's Derek Grant, the vice president of sales at SalesLoft, who talked about discounting. He said, while obviously wanting to maximize contract values, there are four appropriate situations where you can provide a discount. First, signing a longer-term commitment than what was proposed. Second, buying the highest version of a package from the service. Third is volume, buying a higher quantity of the package or service. And the last one was timing or cash. Are you able to buy today or pay cash up front for the entire order? I also love what Derek had to say about deals in the pipeline that essentially died in discovery. So you see a 90-day deal that's been kicked twice. It's like, ugh, it seems like we're not making good progress. But usually on those deals, it's a complete absence of discovery. That usually is the thing that that drug the deal out because status quo can win in that case. Like they they didn't they don't really know how they're going to change the customer's life and they can't articulate that to the customer. Uh, and so the the ones that go long usually have the lightest notes. They usually have the least detailed information, and they start to stand out like a sore thumb on a, a thumb on a pipeline report. And when you really press the rep on it, they begin to not be able to give you the answers that allow you to keep it alive and in the month or in the quarter. Roderick Jefferson, the head of global enablement at the Oracle Marketing Cloud, joined me for episode three, and he had the concept of your network is your net worth. He said to spend time necessary to grow your relationships both inside your organization and outside of it, because one of the most powerful phrases you can say is, I don't know, and then bring in a third party to provide additional value. This is one of the many reasons I started this podcast. By growing my network of sales leaders, I have now more people I can call on for introductions, advice, or really just any kind of conversation that I need. In episode four, I was joined by Darren Tomey, the vice president of sales at Demand Jump, and really one of my best friends. And he talked about the power of research, uh, specifically saying if you're selling to a public company, a 10K can be a roadmap as it outlines the major initiatives for the year ahead. If your solution fits into one of those themes, you can use the data to highlight a gap in their opportunity. Now, I'm a geek for data myself, and one of my time blocks on my calendar for a long time has been to read a 10K every Sunday morning. But Darren is really right here. If you start using that 10K data in your sales conversations, you're going to move up the rungs pretty quickly in the organization as you align your solution to their stated goals to their shareholders. Episode five, I talked with Jenny Vance, the executive vice president of sales at Perk, who talked about how she uses upfront contracts. And that's prior to kicking off every sales call. She sets the ground rules for the meeting, getting both parties' agendas and deal breakers on the table. That way, at the end of the meeting, it will be mutually obvious as to whether you should keep talking. While I use a little bit of a different version than Jenny, setting that upfront contract for meetings has probably been one of the biggest impacts on my career. It gives you equal business stature and sometimes even surprises the prospects by showing them you're willing to walk away from the table if it's not a good deal for you. Episode six was by far, and still is, I guess, uh, the most downloaded and listened to episode to date, and it's no wonder why, John Barrows rocks. He is the modern sales trainer for leading tech companies, and he spent a lot of time talking about prospecting. 
By simply picking up the phone, you open up a world of new opportunities. So regardless of your current pipeline, set aside time each day to continue adding new prospects to your outreach. This process helps solve a lot of problems while developing you much faster. Plus, keeping a solid pipeline puts you in a power position where you don't need the business and don't fall suspect to unnecessary discounting. Let's listen to John take this concept a bit further as he talks about how to apply A-B testing to the mix. Back when I was, you know, making 400 dials a week, I knew my equation cold, right? Uh, I knew I, needed, I had to make 400 dials to get eight, me- 400 dials a week, got me eight meetings a month, got me four proposals, got me two pieces of closed business. And I just ran that because I, and it was a numbers game to me. But now looking back on it, you know, I was making 400 blind cold calls with a generic elevator pitch. And instead what I would do is now I would A-B split test. So I would come up with four different approaches and make 100, 100, 100, 100, and figure out which one yielded a higher response rate. And I think you can do this with anything. I said earlier, objection handling. One objection, two approaches to it, 10 times, 10 times, right? Dealing with gatekeepers. You know, in the morning, be really direct with gatekeepers. In the afternoon, be really nice to them, see what happens. By doing that, you'll start to figure out what works and what doesn't work a lot faster, and you'll also be able to figure out what works for you personally compared to everybody else. Peter Dunn, a.k.a. Pete the Planner, joined me for Episode 7, and I've learned a lot from Pete over the years, but I'd really never had a sales conversation with him, so this one was fun for me. His notion of being present, uh, and, and I'll admit, this, is, this one's tough for me still, but while you definitely need to know your stuff, truly being present in conversations you're having is incredibly powerful. Know your audience and acknowledge the moment, not just your agenda. Pete also talked about the personal responsibility, whether you're the janitor or the CEO. The reality is the CEO struggles with money as much as the mailroom clerk, and no one wants to hear that. When I just said that, someone listening to this right now, JB, said, that's BS, right? There's no way. Trust me when I tell you, though, it's the same thing. in fact, I'm not giving you names, of course, but the CEO of a very powerful company in the Midwest was a client of ours, their, their organization. And we, at the time, had these sessions called Ask Pete the Planner Sessions, where I just post up in a conference room. And for 10 hours, people come at me every 15 minutes. We do what we can to fix their stuff. So the CEO came into a session and dumped uh, their financial life on me. And it was as bad as I've ever seen, despite wow. the fact that they made over $1.6 million a year. In episode eight, I was joined by Todd Capone. And while I don't have an official count, I do believe Todd has been referenced by more guests on my show than any other individual, except maybe an author, but it's easy to see why. As senior vice president of sales at Power Reviews, Todd Capone talked about the idea of asking for time on the calendar. He said, the best evidence a customer is truly engaged in the process is they're willing to put you in their calendar for another discussion. Now, a lot of reps lose control of deals because they're not getting on their customer's calendar. So before you hang up or step out of that sales meeting, make sure you secure the follow-up. So, so true, Todd. Episode 9 saw Adam Weber, the Vice President of Sales at Implify. Now, Adam is a fellow Sandler-trained sales leader, and so it's always fun to jam out with someone who shares a common language with you. Adam talked about one of those notions in Sandler of getting the prospect moving, which we call the pendulum theory. But essentially, your questioning ability is how you get a prospect off the point of being neutral. Asking good questions establishes credibility and trust, enabling your prospect to move along in their buying process. 
Well, so I was two years into my sales career when we started, um, and and candidly was I had a lot of room to grow. And, um, <laughs> our very first day, um, my CEO and um, business partner Santiago, we actually sat down at a kitchen table together. No cut, you know, no customer. I needed. I just picked up the phone, picked a list of uh, prospects. I had thirty prospects on the list, and I uh, I picked up the phone and I started to cold call. And he's sitting right beside me. And admittedly, I've done very little cold calling at this point. And I got up and I walked into the next room and I hid. And in the middle of that call, I realized like I'm exactly as good as I am. So I walked right back down, sat right beside him, and I bombed the call. And he was like, "That was really bad." And I was like, "That, that was really bad. What could we do to make it better?" And we just both sat and brainstormed. And I picked up the phone again, and I was just a little bit better. And then we talked about it. And I picked up the phone and made it a little better. And so um, I think early, you know, that was one of the challenges was just to be open. And when I talk to reps today too, it's that moment you start to hide from other people when you're doing things on your own. That's the moment you stop getting getting better. In episode 10, I talked with the director of sales at Terminus, Tony Bennett. And Tony packed a, a huge punch as she just kept delivering uh, the idea of, of providing value in every single outreach. And it was evident that that's how she trains her team because she says, if you don't have value, don't have an interaction. Um, one of the things that uh, was my big takeaway from her was to quit being a rule follower. While it's important to know the rules of the game, more often than not, it's so that you can know which ones to break and when. Don't just imitate those around you. Challenge the status quo and find your voice. In episode 11, I was joined by my personal sales coach for more than 10 years, Matt Nettleton, the chief sales officer at Sandler Training. And the way I see it is if Michael Jordan has a basketball coach and Tiger Woods has a golf coach, even the best salespeople can and should have coaches. My takeaway from Matt in this one helps break that notion of people being 68, 57, or whatever percent it is through the sales cycle before they talk to you, and that is to provide context to content. The job of the salesperson is not to provide information, but rather context. Prospects have access to more content than ever before, but salespeople have more context in their area of expertise than a prospect should or could ever develop. Sharing this context is essential. Matt also talked about how he's able to ask the simplest of questions just by getting permission. So that's one of the things that, that really is vital in sales is all sales has to be permission-based. So one of the things that I will tell people up front is, listen, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. Some of them are going to be pretty basic, but I need to make sure I understand what's actually happening. Uh, I, For a long time, I have said that I am a sales Marxist, right? Groucho Marx said a child of five should be able to understand this. Bring me a child of five. I think that unless a child could understand what I'm talking about early on, I'm probably missing some vital details. Episode 12 had me talking with Ray Carroll, the vice president of sales at Engageo, who said, comparison is the thief of joy. And what he meant by that is while competition is good, don't let comparing yourself to others steal your success. Salespeople today spend way too much time thinking, if I fail, it's because of this. Instead, think when I win, it's in spite of this. Another thing that had me shaking my head yes in my chat with Ray was the notion that over-automation is killing sales and marketing. It's so true. I couldn't agree more that while technology is great, people need to start being people again. All right, episode 13, I talked with Jack Kusner, Regional Director of Sales at Smarter HQ, and he talked about the idea of finding your champion. 
He said, when prospecting, pursue multiple players inside the organization. Don't just stop at the person who you think is the right person. By reaching out to multiple people, you're more likely to find someone who is at least willing to pick up the phone and hear what you have to say, turning them into your champion on the inside. Jack is relentless. His stories of making just one more call as you're completing your day were priceless. So think about it. If you made just one more call every single business day, you're going to make somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 extra calls per year. Now, I don't know what your connect and close ratios are, but if you sold two extra deals from that effort, would it be worth the extra three to five minutes per day? Episode 14 was with my first international guest from Australia, John Loger, who is the founder at Consulting Unleashed. And he talked about leveraging trade shows. He said, if you find yourself stuck or even in a rut, go to a trade show in your industry, walk up to the salesman in the booth and just start asking questions. Ask them what they've been seeing in the market, what kind of feedback they're getting from customers. What do they think people should be excited about? What are some of the trends people are talking about? As you start to see the common themes here, you're likely to craft a better pitch or discovery question set. And definitely, definitely agree with this. Not something that I had done before at a trade show. Episode 15 uh, goes back to that example from Roderick Jefferson's notion of your network is your net worth. When I met with Greg Freeman, a partner at West Point Financial Group, Greg and I have become really good friends since this uh, conversation on sales tuners. And not only is he an amazing golfer, but he's already started finding ways to refer me business. In our conversation, he talked about how he struggled early in his career with the mental blocker of OPM, other people's money. Now, It's not your money, and you got to realize that. This remains a challenge for most people in sales, but you have to realize the amount of money you're asking a person for has no correlation to your own wallet or your perception of what a lot of money is. Just because you couldn't afford to buy something or just because you've never done what you're asking the buyer to do doesn't mean they can't or shouldn't. And Greg also had a great point with his personal example of how the first objection you hear is never the real objection. The ones that we hear are, I'm working with someone already or, um, oh, thanks, but I'm already taken care of. So let me give you an example. I walk into finish line and I just did this a couple months ago. Um, I walk into finish line. I'm literally going in there to buy a pair of shoes. Like I am not leaving finish line without a pair of shoes. I walk in, the salesperson comes up to me and they say, hey, is there anything that we can help you with? My natural and first response is, no, thanks. I'm just looking. I say it every single time. Don't mean to say it. I just say it. And so she's like, okay, let me know if you need anything. She goes away. And actually I do need something. I do need a pair of shoes. I need you to get the right size. And so I, instead of going back to her, maybe I go to the other salesperson and I don't know if they make commission or whatever off of that sale, but that person lost that sale because they didn't go further. So if I do that to buy shoes, I just assume that the, the first objection that anybody gives me, whether it's a sales call, whether it's whatever it might be, um, isn't the real one. In episode 16, I talked with Nicole Hutzel, the regional vice president of sales at Amarsis, who had a concept that sales was 90% hard work and 10% magic. And simply by having and sticking to a process, you'll outperform most of your peers. So what does it mean to have a process? Well, if you don't have a process, you have to adapt to your buyer's process. And guess what? They don't know how to buy. As you define the individual steps in your selling cycle and what the exit criteria is for each, it becomes much easier to qualify, plan, and close opportunities. 
My guest in episode 17 grew a commodity insurance business from $1 million to more than $6 million in less than 24 months. David Zom, an insurance agent with Robley Insurance, talked about a unique direct mail campaign that he would do. But my big takeaway from him was this concept of do-it-yourself before outsourcing. Unless you know the intricate details of a process, it may not be in your best interest to outsource it. Do it yourself first, figure out the tiny details, and draft a standard operating procedure. Doing this also allows you to monitor the outsourcing and determine very quickly whether it's working or not. Episode 18 was with Susan Lorkovic Zuzik. She's the Vice President of Sales for AdTech at Oracle Marketing Cloud. When I did my brief stint with Oracle after they acquired the startup I ran sales for, Susan was well known as the top rep in the entire company. I used every opportunity or really excuse possible to learn from her. But in this conversation, she focused on the idea of selling big deals and talked about how you can't be single threaded anymore. Especially in enterprise accounts, there's always more than one buyer. If you don't know who the other person is, you need to map out the entire organization to get an idea of the different influencers. Once you've identified them, figure out how you can match people on your team to their counterpart inside your prospect. Susan also talked about how she's drawn to people and how they think. I've always been um, it, it really obsessed with people, right? And understanding what makes them tick, what makes them do the things the way they are, and then also just socially being around people. And one of the first sales jobs that I had, they actually trained us on uh, the DISC profile. And you know, for those people that don't know what DISC is, it's it's essentially understanding um, there's like four different categories that people may fall under and which characteristic in DISC do people most relate to? Are they more of a dominant in- individual? Are they more influential? Are they more you know, steady or compliant? And so really that's helped me understand the people that I sell to and be able to sell to them the way they want to buy. Because if you use the same approach with everyone, you're you're either people are going to love you, people are either going to hate you, or people are just not going to feel anything because everybody's different, right? And it's not going to move them the same way. And whether you sell a product, service, or whatever, you're still selling to a person. Now, episode 19's guest needed no introduction, but Trish Bertuzzi, the president and chief strategist at The Bridge Group, was fantastic. She talked about how you need to own the space. Your passion, or lack thereof, is infectious. As a salesperson, you know more about your product or service than your prospect, and you need to own that sales process. Know what your competitors are saying, know what analysts are saying, and truly understand the problem that needs to be solved and guide your prospect through that conversation. I also got to laugh with Trish as she asked a very real question about today's sales reps. Where are the closing questions? I don't think they ask closing questions. And if they do, they ask it at the end. Like, I think. The art of the close is a lost art. Like when I listen to calls, I'm like, where are the closing questions? Like, what's going on? We just scheduled, asked to schedule another call and we didn't ask about time frame or decision maker or like, we're just so happy they talked to us. Like, what happened? In episode 20, I talked with Steve Cunningham, the CEO at Read It For Me. Now, Steve's background fascinated me. After all the schooling, all the time, and all the money, he spent exactly one full week as a lawyer. Seriously crazy to think about. But it was that experience in case law and combing through facts 
is what led him to his current business and my top takeaway from our conversation, and that is learn by reading. If knowledge is power, books are the proverbial light switch. Professional development and sales begins deep within the pages of carefully penned thoughts and ideas of those who have gone before you. Respecting the insight from those who have been there in your shoes is one of the most valuable investments you can make in yourself. Now, I read an average of 25 books a year myself, but I love Steve's Read It For Me service. And if you want to give it a shot with a very special offer that he made just for Sales Sooners Nation, head over to readitfor.me slash askjb. That's A-S-K-J-B. In episode 21, I got to talk with Phil Keen, the manager of demand generation at Octave. And he had this concept of adopting a CEO mentality. He said, the perception of who you are matters a lot. Instead of just doing what you're supposed to do, think bigger. If it were your company, what would you do differently? How would you dress? How would you talk to customers? Would you hold others accountable? These ideas will get you thinking more broadly about the business as opposed to just your role in sales. Now, Phil is a master at fine-tuning the difference between the interested and addressable markets by using mapping and fit calls and creating recipes for every step in the process. His ability to set appointments with decision makers is just incredible to see. Easily in my top five, the conversation I had with episode 22's guest James Moore is a must-listen. James is the chief revenue officer at Simplify, and he talked about always seeking candor. He used a quote from Jack Welch, which was just golden, and it's the higher you get in an organization, the more you get lied to. Developing a personal philosophy to speak to people in a candid and understandable way is one of the most fundamental skills you can craft for your sales career. James also talked about the mutual mystification in today's sales process. At Simplify, find myself in a very technical sale. And unfortunately, we, we hire salespeople who come up really through the media ranks. And we're selling a technology also to people in the marketing side of business who also came up in the marketing ranks. And so you've got a non-technology seller selling a technology to a non-technology buyer. And the challenge there is that you essentially got a confused seller selling to a confused buyer, and everybody wants to pretend that they know everything. And, and, when, and when we present what we do, and they say, well, how is this different than XYZ? The only answer to that question oftentimes is a technical answer. Patrick Giusti, the chief revenue officer at Point Inside, joined me for episode 23. And Patrick had spent the last decade plus working for some of the largest companies in the world. And having since transitioned to the startup world, his main theme hasn't changed. The biggest play of the game happens first. In sales, the biggest play of the game is typically the very first one. And you know the saying, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So the amount of preparation you put in before a scheduled call becomes evident and determines whether you stand out from the crowd or not. Episode 24 was a long one, but for good reason. Matt Amundsen, the Vice President of Sales Development and Field Marketing at Everstring, got deep into the weeds of how he's been able to build successful SDR teams, starting by doing the work himself. And he talked about selling to people, not companies. So starting at the top of the funnel and working your way down is a sales strategy that brings the big picture into focus. Most salespeople wake up in the morning thinking about the companies or brands they want to sell to instead of the actual people that fill the roles able to buy at those companies. So figure out what their personal motivations, incentives, and interests are and talk to them like human beings. 
and wrapping up my first 25 conversations was fellow fan of the Kentucky Wildcats and Big Blue Nation, Sam McKenna, the Senior Director of Sales at On24. And she talked about the idea of showing the cost of inaction. Now, sometimes it's not about what prospects think they have. It's about what they're losing. Showing your prospects the cost of this inaction can oftentimes be more effective than anything else. How much is it costing them to maintain the status quo? How can your product or service make their life easier? How can your offering keep them from being embarrassed in their next meeting with their boss? Now, this gap analysis, as I call it, works like a charm. I like to ask the question, let's fast forward a year and whatever you've done has become wildly successful. What would have happened? This gets a prospect dreaming up big ideas and they lay out the roadmap for you. Then I simply say, what happens if that doesn't happen? Talk about getting some real emotion out. This does the trick. So there you have it. 25 incredible guests. So many takeaways, so many laughs, and so much fun. Now it's your turn. Please tweet at me, at SalesTuners, or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com, and let me know what your top takeaway from the first 25 episodes has been. And again, definitely check out the show notes for this one at SalesTuners.com slash 26. We've pulled each of the guests' biggest pieces of advice and listed them out as well as links to their individual episodes. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there!